it's the TFT Podcast. That's Theory for Turntables. I'm Matt, and that's Ryan. Ryan, what do you want me to say? What do you want me to do? Matt, there are folks that say, to have a soul, you got to suffer. Well, lately, I've had my RDA of that. And call it fascist, but I know that someday, happy will be all that matters. <laughs> and uh, Ryan and I are not alone. We have TFT Punk correspondent Rachel D. Rachel, you may not be here all the time, but you are invited by anyone to do anything. You are invited for all time. Ah, oh, Matt, always tired, need a nap, have to make myself brush my teeth. I've made a list of everything I've ever owned. So the night you know, is- I, I, I've realized I've realized that I just don't like jokes. <laughs> the the 90s had some really good indie rock that wasn't uh that wasn't grunge, you know. I feel like uh the alternative rock label got sort of co-opted at least in terms of mainstream radio format uh airplay by by a lot of grunge and by a lot of sort of more you know, ch- sort of children of heavy metal rather than this, uh, rather than this art rock. But, um, uh, but we are talking about an indie rock record of the late 1990s, uh, the album Emergency and I by the band Dismemberment Plan, D Plan, who yeah, were a. The, uh, the plan is also acceptable. They're a band of many <laughs> nicknames. The, <laughs> <laughs> they have a, they have a Wu Tang Clan members uh, number of nicknames. <laughs> Um, that uh, they were a Washington D.C. based indie rock band, and this is just another. This is another really good, uh, really good record that from from this period, sort of in this style. And what what style is that? You ask. Well, pop quiz. Ryan and Rachel, when Spotify did its infinite playlist, when it did its Nick and Norris infinite playlist to me after the end of Dismemberment Plans, Emergency and I, what TFT album from uh, not not this stretch, but from the last uh, historical quarter, uh, early uh, early 90s or early to mid 90s, what um, album did it scroll into? Well, because it's Spotify, uh, and I don't actually think they sort things well. I'm going to say it was called something like 30-something Sunday Vibe. Is <laughs> it actual song? <laughs> I, think, I think Matt's going for an actual song. Like no, an no, an, an album. It actually it, it queued, up another, it queued up another album that we devoted an episode to, uh, another 90s <laughs> indie, indie rock album. And I'm I just w- – it's, you know – I want to say, I mean, did it cue you to Fugazi? No, it did. It didn't. That that would have been in in a certain way more appropriate because it would have <laughs> the sort of experimental, uh, the sort of experimental spirit of this band. I think is is more exemplified by Fugazi than what it did. <laughs> did it cue you to Counting Crows? <laughs> <laughs> I uh well Travis Morrison is uh in the running for Rain King but uh no uh the Lonesome Crowded West. Ah that was that was uh, that or pavement or or bright really yeah or bright in the corners yeah those were the two or series. Or Atlanta's more set really. <laughs> <laughs> that I would I would have listened to that and I would have said how appropriate. <laughs> <laughs> so uh Ryan this is one I mean you're you're holding in your hands the uh the artisanal authentic uh vinyl copy of this if I'm not mistaken right? Oh, that's right. Uh, well, we are we are holding the uh, from the vinyl re-release um, that came out a few years ago, holding the lyric sheet and also the oral history of the album, which we will re- refer to periodically as needed. Um, so we are we are plan fans, uh, I think you could say. Yeah. Um, and but I think it's worth. Well, noting- I heard a wise a wise lyricist once told me that if you fail to plan for tomorrow, you plan to fail today. Uh, Exactly. Well, you know, I mean, it's really interesting, right? That and and you are referencing um, a song that that I wrote uh, in my my grad school band called the Exemplary High School. That was a a kind of speech singy uh, indie rock song of the early two thousands that was absolutely inspired by the Dismemberment Plan and a number of uh, contemporaries, uh, Lasavi Fav, um, Q and Not You, oh, which yeah, is quite, what I was listening. To at the time, sure. Craig Finn had nothing on you with that, yeah, yeah. that Sprechzimmer. Yeah, exactly, and and that was the era, and so, but that 
it, what's interesting, right? So around that time, so like kind of late in college, early in grad school, so 2003, 2005, this is what I was really into. And it's because um, Rachel and I met uh, living in Washington, D.C. Um, in the summer of 2003, which was actually the summer at the end of the dismemberment plan's last kind of original run, right? They since uh, reunited, like around 2010, 2011, they started playing some shows again um, and then released an album a few years after that. But that they're their, the end of their original run that went through the 90s and the first couple of years of the early 2000s ended when we were living in D.C. And I actually went to their what was meant to be their final show at Fort Reno Park. Uh, but then it was kind of rained out or shortened by rain. And then they did a real final show later in that year in 2003. Um, but so I had, they had been on my radar. God, um, you you liked their final show before it was cool, huh? I, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I mean, or it was like, again, um, I, I killed them, right? Like, you know, I discovered this band and then they, and then they broke up. Um, and because correlation is exact is definitely causation when it comes to my ego. And so, uh, I, I did that, but you know, I had been aware of them for a while and it was interesting. Um, and it, uh, there's a few things that had prevented me from really getting deep into them until seeing them live at that time. I think one is that so they they were a band that in the late 90s kind of toured a lot with emo bands. And so that was my jam and that was my scene. And so I knew their name from seeing them on the um, on the bill with bands like Braid, uh, which was an emo band at the time. Um, I think even they may have toured with Alkaline Trio at one point. And so they were adjacent to a lot of bands that I liked. But then I would check out um, a song uh, or two via Napster, right? Because this was kind of peak Napster and its immediate clones, right? 99, 2000 was right around that time. And so having a bunch of kind of decontextualized, individualized songs, I would download and say, this isn't emo (laughs) and close my computer and walk away. Uh, And so it took seeing the entire live show, which was a lot, I think in my earlier surfings, I had gotten just bits and pieces from throughout the catalog. Um, but the the live show was very heavy on emergency eye and I th- and I and I think that uh, hearing that and kind of seeing right this was 2003 was at this kind of you know the cresting wave of dance punk right and uh, and so that seeing this this you know ecstatic dance party right and um, you know I think the first song that they played at this show was um, the city right which has that um, that synth bass the boom and just like that with the drum bass that is this kind of this drum beat that is a skittering um, almost drum and bassy kind of like drum drum beat uh, uh, is uh you know at that point and i was ready for things to not be emo and i was ready to dance uh and also cry while dancing <laughs> um and so it was it, it was a a bunch of right time right place right time and so i kind of was in the place of getting really my favorite band being a band that i had just seen play its last show um and and then that was kind of followed up by very, very quickly after that, there were rumors of Travis Morrison, the lead singer, um, releasing a solo album. So I was like, good, I don't have to wait too long um, to fi- have the the successor to my favorite band. Uh, and his solo album, which came out, I think, sometime in 2005-ish, for 2004-2005, uh, a little album called Travis Dan, got a 0.0 from Pitchfork, uh, which had uh, championed um, Emergency and I. I think it had been their number one album of 1999. It was in the high nine when it came out um and so so yeah that is so the the dismemberment plan has been with me uh and us you know since the at least the early 2000s um so we weren't quite there right in in 99 but we were there i mean it's it's amazing how much closer 2003 is to 1999 than it is to now yeah that's 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 (laughs) true rachel how, how did you uh how did you come into contact with them I mean, I think it's a pretty similar trajectory because this is one of those things that I did not, I did not come into, um, prior to the relationship with Ryan. 
I think I came oh into that. Oh my god, is it your guys' first band together? <laughs> kind of. Kind of. A number of bands of uh, another oh, of these summer. like DC bands. I would say our really first band together was this um, short-lived Discord band called Black Eyes. Yes, yes. They had this like one particularly awesome song, <laughs> and they had um. I mean, their EP or their album was decent. So this is a band that was two drummers, two bass players, like a, saxophone. a saxophone, <laughs> um, and like two vocalists. I mean, there was only one bass player, but there were two vocalists. Yeah, um, I mean, and it was a very, um, you know, just imagine what that might produce. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, you, you do the math. <laughs> and so it, it was that. Yeah, I think we went. We saw that band perform. also at this right because there were this. This Fort Reno that I mentioned was this free outdoor concerts mm-hmm. in a park in in Tenley Town in D.C. That was every. It was like twice a week during the summer. Yeah. I think. And uh, I think that I remember we went to that, and I think it uh, collectively blew our minds. Um, so in general, I think like just being like in D.C. and seeing this going, being able to go to Fort Reno led to like an interest in all things kind of D.C. and post-punk, mm-hmm. I would say. Um, I I did not come into this relationship liking emo. I think <laughs> like prior to, to meeting I've managed to drag you kicking and screaming there over the course of like 15 years. <laughs> you didn't have it. You didn't have a like an emo nuptial agreement or something <laughs> where I like, you know, the, the, the parties come into the relationship with the uh, with the albums they liked beforehand. And, and, you know, they leave the relationship with the with their own albums back returned to them rather than having exchanged that. But, no, uh, you know, I think our musical tastes have just kind of like commingled like our assets you know (laughs) (laughs) like i don't remember at at certain points like where like my my interests begin and his like end except for some things like emo where it's like yeah that's definitely more your thing (laughs) but uh you know no i came in i understand i came into the summer liking the modest mouse records a lot yeah and And you gave you gave me modest mouse i gave you modest mouse and i was like really into modest mouse and I like, and, and like, I like you gave me modest mouse like it's yeah. a std you know? yeah i said it like that <laughs> but uh i think i think that summer was the beginning of a kind of general appreciation for this kind of sound and for like i would describe like the genre of post-punk in general yeah um like finding that because i think prior to that I had been listening the things I found like the college stuff that I listened to when I first got to college was more like, yeah, Modest Mouse, the Pixies. I would describe it as more like, quote, air quote, college rock. Right. And and it was like or it was things that was like garage rock sounding bands like the Strokes, that kind of like that kind of thing. And really deep into like pet sounds, really listening a lot to pet sounds. So I had like I was kind of on a slower, mopier like little kick before, <laughs> before going to the summer. And then I think, you know, being able to like hear all these bands, um, you know, I, I just sort of like turned me on to like this kind of like whole other kind of world of music uh, that I could that like could be like uh, satisfying that like desire for punk music in general so uh my history with this band is that uh last week ryan sent me a text (laughs) that said here's the album for next week (laughs) and uh because you you are invited bro (laughs) (laughs) thank you for all time uh and that uh that the because the you know the um the album art expands in line when you send a spotify link i was like oh who is this who is this jovial empty box character with the you know the dots the dots for the face um he, he looks whimsical yeah he, he looks surely this will be a lighthearted romp surely this will be a uh you know surely this will be a, a twee and uh you know i don't know a frivolous and consequential uh romp well it was it was none of those those things um so uh if if like Rachel- genre spanning meditation on depression yeah. and loneliness right? right uh yeah exactly with uh with you know uh i like i mean 
Well, uh, we'll get into it. I mean, the the album the album title is really great, uh, given those uh, uh, you know, given those kind of subject areas. But if uh, if like Rachel, you came on the Sloop John B, you will leave in the memory machine, and uh, <laughs> so you know, subject yourself to uh, forty five minutes of emergency and I by dismemberment plan. Actually, you know what? Not terrible to run to. I'm just yep, just gonna say it. Uh, it definitely um, it definitely has a beat, uh, and actually has that kind of like mid tempo cadence that like you know is good for just a just not not sprinting, not climbing, just a kind of loping down the sidewalk, you know, wondering yep. what it all means. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so give a listen to uh, Emergency and I by Dismemberment Plan and meet us back here to talk about it after this word from our commercial sponsor are you looking to kickstart something in your life yep uh i'm thinking a kickstarter but i bet you have a better idea oh yeah especially if you're looking for like some excitement to jazz things up get yourself out of a rut oh yeah absolutely kickstarter won't do that what can i do why don't you launch all of the world's nukes Go on. <laughs> yeah, you can just, if you really want to get things moving, you can just launch all of the world's nukes. And then, I mean, just think about how exciting everything will be. You'll have, you know, astronomers going on CNN and breaking down tears, people calling loved ones, people people taking risks and chances. Isn't that exciting? Yeah, it really is. My As it is, my children are disappointing me. Uh, the, the, the acting attorney general is appointed a special prosecutor to look into my past misdeeds and those of my uh, those of my staff and uh, you know I, I can't even play golf because uh, there are national tragedies consuming the headlines and it would be considered uh, it would be considered insensitive so you're saying that I should launch all the world launch nukes. the nukes Donald launch the nukes daddy no don't do it don't do it daddy don't do it Ivanka how did you get in here Daddy, Daddy, it's time for your nap. Daddy, it's time for your nap. Oh, if you go, say go, go have a nap time, Daddy. Yeah, if you say so, Donald. if you say so, boss. Uh, I, I wish I could launch you, but Ivanka says to nap, and and she is uh, she is the one who controls everything well, I do. Maybe tomorrow we'll kickstart something. Launching nukes, it's exciting. Now back to Fox and Friends. <laughs> And we're back today. Obama, is he responsible for the depression that is felt (laughs) by Travis Morrison? Well, I sure think so. (laughs) Hey, I really like your platinum blonde dye job today. It's even blonder than your platinum blonde dye job from yesterday. You know, I just wish that the socialists would stop running the media. I know. (laughs) Man, guys, Bill Clinton was president when this album came out. And George Bush was president when I first heard it. (laughs) Really makes you think. (laughs) I have a, I have a question for you guys. It's kind of a, it's kind of an alternative history kind of question. Actually, it it kind of fits well with where we, where we were, we've just been living. Um, If Hillary had won. (laughs) No. Um, So it requires a little bit of backstory um, that you may or may not be aware of Matt, but that, um, this album was recorded um, on uh, when the dismemberment plan were under a contract with the major label Interscope Records. Oh, wow. um, and it never ended up um, getting released under Interscope because Interscope was acquired by Seagrams before the album could come out. And, and they were dropped uh, because they no one really knew who they were or why they were there. But my question for, for uh, Matt and Rachel is this dismemberment plan in an alternate timeline where uh, Interscope continues to exist and they released this album on it, maybe more on time in, in sometime in 1998. Would they have become one hit wonder novelty alternative pop stars in the vein of Bare Naked Ladies One Week or Semi Charmed Life by uh, Third Eye Blind? Question mark. I, I well, I, I have an answer, but uh, yes. uh, but I don't want to I don't want to stomp on Rachel. Rachel, do you have a do you have a thought about this? No, I actually would like to hear your thought on this um, because I think I had, you know, I think um, 
you know, I, I well, I'll you know, tell you, I'll just I, give I, you a shorthand. Think yes, I, yeah. I think a little bit yes, but I'd like to hear your short. I, I also think a little bit yes. That's my short. That's my short answer. It's a qualified yes uh, because <laughs> they would have become one hit wonders, but not in the manner of the bands you've described. They would have become one hit wonders in the manner of the breeders. Ah, uh, yeah, that is the other kind. Right. And I mean, that, I like, guess- and that be, because I was actually thinking of the breeders a lot when I was, when I was yeah. listening to this. I think, like, uh, you know, <laughs> a little bit the joke in my head was, well, this is what the breeders would have sounded like if they weren't so fucking commercial, you know? <laughs> and that, like, um, that, but like a little bit, it, you know, their, their weirdness got papered over by the fact that, uh, by the fact that there was, a a huge marketing machine that coalesced around cannonball and that like um that 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 fate with and the the kind of the strangeness and high quality uh high quality strangeness of the rest of their uh record got sort of leveled off by that and that totally could have if you had a like a professional global marketing machine flogging this on you know the last dying gasp of mtv and uh you know what have you uh because we were we were already in the ascendancy of the real world you know and and uh, yeah into the kind of early days or kind of mid-period uh, Napster, early days LimeWire, not quite yet because, uh, right, the, the, um, the, the machine could have done the same thing uh, to Dismemberment Plan. So interesting question. In that model, in the what, what's your cannonball on this album? What would have been the kind of alterna poppy um like the alt- the alternative hit single um off of this record i think that the i mean the hook that sticks with me is what do you want me to say mm. what do you want me to do you know what i mean and i feel yeah, like yeah. i feel like the the two and a half minute radio edit of that with the ultra compressed like what you can just imagine almost the boy band version of it mm. right? like what mm. do you want me to say what do you want me to do you know that's yeah. like uh that would be super obnoxious no, I, I could see that fitting in like the kind of total request live slot with right. like uh, what was total request live at, at, like at that time? I think so. Yeah, it, was yeah, pretty, yeah, it was still going on. It was still that it was still in place, right? And still kind of relevant, actually. Um, yeah, yeah. You like so it could have like existed alongside uh, uh, like my own worst enemy by Lit. <laughs> Right, and it would have been this like video where like I think they're like in a pool or in a suburban kind of like they would have just put them in like a kind of like weird glossy suburban banal setting or something, you know, and like they're like like they're playing in a garage or they're like at a pool. I don't know, like something, you know, kind of one like I think they would have been maybe like then that would have been like the the look. I mean, it is interesting, right? I'm just like looking at now. I'm thinking of some some examples of things, right? So, so my own worst enemy by Lit was a March 1999 wow. single, mm-hmm. uh, Inside Out by Eve Six. <laughs> um, cut my that's that's this last resort by by Papa Roach was a little later. Um, uh, I would swallow my pride. I would choke on the lies. That's right. Like the empty uh, side. I would swallow uh, my doubt. Turn it inside out. I'm nothing but faith in nothing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Put yeah. my tender heart in a blender. It said right. I mean, yeah. they're obviously the sound and the antecedents are different, but in the kind of Very. decontextualized like stream of getting pumped out in like the kind of MTV alternative block, it could have fit in there. I think that the song that I would have slotted alongside the even more kind of poppier ones, um, and that could have been kind of decontextualized in an even more poppy way, I think is um You Are Invited, which is which is kind of closer and it's not quite as like like pop rap like sprechazang as um either third eye blind or bare naked ladies but there is a little bit of this very much it, it is both like very poppy right the hook is very good the um kind of song the, the way that the the verses really foreground the vocals um makes kind of set in the way that has this kind of conceptual apparatus and story kind of puts it in kind of alternative novelty song territory it it's funny though because i think thinking about it 
I almost think that would have been the sort of earlier 90s, mid 90s novelty song. Like that's the one that would have gotten played on like 120 minutes. And like it would have been like he's kind of like maybe it's like a close up of him while he's walking. And then they like enter one of these sort of like 90s like music video boxes, you know, like (laughs) everyone just like hangs out in these like kind of stark boxes or something. (laughs) But then the box is like filled with party people at like the kind of like big breakdown, the big musical break down um you know but and then at the end though he's alone in the box right like right. when when in the, the last kind of uh, revisiting of the of the hook right yeah i almost say like the preciousness of that song is like more suited to just like a few years ahead of 1999 hmm. and i actually you know i'm now kind of on matt's like case that I could see what do you want me to say being able to be sold as if it were like a Blink One Eighty Two song, you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. <laughs> or like Stacy's I mean, mom. Or like honestly, right? this is like a very like a- an album that triggers many sad feelings, and that was the most saddest <laughs> and most <laughs> triggering. <laughs> that was the saddest. Yeah. Yeah, she thinks it reminds her of Blink One Eighty Two. Ryan, you just you just got to live with that. <laughs> Listen, it's 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 not any of the big things that make me upset. It's just all of the small things. <laughs> so where do we? I mean, Ryan, where where do we jump in? Is it with one of those? Is it with one of the bangers? <laughs> or uh, or uh, do you want to start in a in a different place with this uh, with this album you love? I mean, I realize that I'm sort of driving this week, but I I feel like uh, that this is such a tender this is such a tender moment uh, both for you personally and between the two of you that I want what I want to be is a good I want to be a good facilitator of getting getting these feelings out of you a good uh, a good indie rock shrink. Well, I think the the fact that you you know want to do that um, it, it means that it's very different than the actual like world p- depicted in the album, right? Because you are a person who care who who is expressing care and connection for another person, right? <laughs> um, and that this is an album that is is very much um, about disconnection right um and it's and it's it's there um you know throughout right that that uh you know from the opening track um a life of uh, possibilities through the jitters right through um through gyroscope that there are just so many kind of heartbreaking individual pieces and the whole is kind of filled with with not even just it, it, again, we've talked about this a lot, actually. It's, it's kind of interesting to think about how much we've kind of talked about depression in this, stri- this string of, of 98, 99 albums, um, because it's it's here again. Um, but here it's a little more kind of socialized and, and is, is kind of around a sense of disconnection um, from others. And so I, I think that that, you know, at the level of theme is is kind of where to dive in. Um, I mean, because I think there's the two axes. There's kind of what's going on lyrically um and then what's kind of happening musically uh, on the album and and both the ways in which it kind of connects you know we've kind of talked about the misconnection with pop but then it has a by the ways that it never it was pop that never popped it really became kind of this early wave of of the indie boom of the early 2000s um and then right and they they did later in um off of their uh, final album of this run, Change from 2001, toured with Death Cab and then called it quits, right? Basically just before the OC, right? And just before, you know, uh, Golden State and and like kind of the big kind of second wave of indie pop crossover, right? So that there is this sense where this, you know, by a virtue of several kind of his- accidents of history, that this has a kind of indie rock purity uh in that it it, it like and that it it's un, it's un, unsullied either by josh schwartz or zach braff right right um or by or by like you know whatever <laughs> or, or by time and a little bit by time and yet then also was produced on that big label um major label money right and so it sounds really good right and it has two kind of preeminent producers um of kind of dc uh of dc uh post-punk guys from big bands uh chad clark from smart one crazy and jay robbins um from uh from jawbox right who are both luminaries in the scene and it has both of them and and they you know obsessed over you know individual bass tones and keyboard sounds and drove around manhattan finding very particular like you know guitar 
guitar cabinets, you know? And so there's, I guess, I guess. And so that there is, it, it, it kind of works on, on every level from the most macro cultural down to the most micro sonic. Um, and so I wanted to kind of situate that full range because it kind of reverberates through all of those. But again, I think where that all comes together is in this kind of, depression and isolation that's both i think now feeling of its time of this kind of late 90s moment and then also kind of of an age right so these guys um travis morrison is exactly kind of i mean uh not to the day but to the year 10 years older than me right he's he has a song off of travis and called born in 72 right and i was i was born in 82 so in in 99 it was is like a mid to late 20s uh in the uh in the um in the city album right and it's and and it, and there is that kind of loneliness is a very particular kind of post-collegiate uh loneliness right what's what's the line in spider in the snow the only um that um from the ages of 20 to 22 i had five friends none of whose names i can recall right um and this like sense of just being in a fog in a in a temping job um and and yeah, kind of so there was right I, I mean a couple sorry you finished your thought i, I was no no, I was, no that was it that i was, was coming in i was like coming in like on the tail of your thing and like uh like like the, like the neutral milk hotel song songs just uh leaving the seam in you know yeah. so that uh we could fade into one another i mean i think a couple of things about this we've talked before before about depression and i i mean i think that depression is you know uh, set set aside um the experience, individual experience, right, which is kind of very uh, various and uh, unique to each person. Um, depression, you know, uh, as a like as a, a term or like as a diagnosis or something is a thought technology, right? And it's always a- applied ex post facto. All these things are applied ex post facto to make sense of a of a string of experiences and to kind of put some sort of order or to kind of put a handle on that so that you can like deal with them in a particular way. And for a variety of reasons, there was a sense in which there was a. Um, sense in which this was a prominent thought technology. And I've, I've talked about it before on the podcast, not, not the least of which was that there was a class of drugs and a sort of pharmaceutical marketing machine operating to sell, uh, uh, selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors to, you know, all of these, uh, all of these depressed kids. And, and the, the other thing, right, that was happening, um, in, uh, the the sort of pre dot com boom right like or the the pre dot com crash uh first dot com crash um and and certainly pre nine eleven was low unemployment right and so uh so there there were a bunch of people doing shitty service jobs who were overqualified for the yeah. the shitty service job and and the kind of the feeling of like of pointlessness of kind of uselessness of sort of personal uselessness is not helped <laughs> right by employment uh, by underemployment you know and that's uh um that's something that is unique to this album that was not necessarily quite yeah. the same in the earlier 90s albums that we talked about which were coming off of the first bush recession before the you know before the economic expansion of the clinton years yeah, I think that's that's right. And it, it's that that detail of walking down K Street, right, kind of in the heart of downtown D.C. to some temping job as winter froze the life out of fall. Um, and then, yeah, I must have been having a ball. <laughs> um, and it's it's yeah. <laughs> Um, and it's and, and that's kind of against this kind of skittering um, asymmetric uh, you know, time uh, time signature beat. I don't know, Rachel. Where do, do you kind of um, either on that song or others uh, kind of pick up on the kind of thought technology of depression? Um, I guess I yeah. I mean, I guess just can you unpack thought technology a little? Just I just want to like make sure I am sort of addressing the. The thought technology, like uh, adequate. Sure, it's a red, red wire, right temple, black wire, left temple. <laughs> right, exactly. Like apply current across the across the the brain. Well, I I guess like you know uh, for a variety of reasons there are sort of current. 
I guess this is I mean, the the controversial claim, and and this is like this is not to meant to belittle or trivialize anyone who has had uh, issues with like has had personal struggles with something that that they call depression, right? Like if that is a useful. Um, if that has been, if calling it that and kind of treating it in that way has been useful to you, uh, good for you. I'm glad it's been useful. But I'm, I'm talking at the level of kind of the culture and how the culture talks about itself and how the culture talks about its problems, right? Like all the kids today are suffering from what? Right. Like, uh, and in the nineties, it was definitely, it was definitely depression, right? Like, why are these, why are these youths so disaffected? You know, uh, these days I, I feel like it's much more, uh, anxiety type of, of mm, disorders yeah. is how, how people are, uh, pathologizing the kids today. And that there's, uh, you know, there's a sense that we need to calm them down, uh, rather than a sense that we need to kind of get them invested in, you know, get them invested in great America. American society and American dream and economic activity and shit like that. It's, it's, it's almost more like, Oh God, these kids are too worried about every damn thing. Um, but the, uh, so the idea of a, I mean, the idea of a thought of a thought technology is like, what is the, what is the newest model iPhone for describing, describing, how processing yeah Yeah, the feeling how experience you know how experience happens and that you know it it just strikes me that the the 90s was really focused on psychologically was really focused on depression no i think um i think that's right i think that there is a certain and i think your point about like kind of like anxiety is the framework for how we see things now is like also kind of an interesting way because like it's funny because I, and I think that kind of belies the idea of like, it's like just like a different kind of um, rubric for describing and processing things because like those often are part of the same coin, right? Like anxiety and depression, like often really coexist yeah, they're like, sort of a, like quite closely. No, it's one or the other. It is one or the other. Well, they are, they're, they're sort of different side. sides, different sides of the coin, right? Like, yeah. uh, you know, anxiety is the, I mean, I feel like the, I don't know, to me, <laughs> just in my own life, uh, <laughs> uh, anxiety is the, is the waking up at 3am uh, and worrying, uh, you know what I mean? And kind of like just vibrating with worry about everything. And depression is the being up at, you know, 11am and unable to get out of bed because what even is the point? <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, this, but, so like but same, they're, they're they're on they're on the same basketball team, right? right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, going, calling back to Beck last week. Yeah, right? exactly. I think they're on the same basketball team, and I do think you're right though, because and then in some ways, like I think like the album then is sort of like belies that because like lyrically, it's like the um, thought technology is depression, but then musically, it's anxiety. Oh right? wow, yeah, that's cool. It, it, there's like I think like because huh. I think I think the the awkward time signatures yeah. that are like so present on this album yeah. and are are very well done and like masterful and blah 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 like ama- this is an amazing album but like <laughs> uh, you know the the times the awkward time signatures I think to me create like a lot of like anxiety right yeah. they create like the sense of anxiety and the tension um, you know they're not. Uh, you know, they, they just like from like a very just like base level create that anxiety. And then I think the lyrically, I, I think you're right. The, the lyrical like content is not really about like the, is not really a story of anxiety, but it is like a sort of, it's a story of disaffection. And I think you're right. It's a, it's a story of being like, kind of like under lonely and uh you know underemployed i mean and, and like it's worth kind of saying at no point right does uh travis morrison say i am so depressed right like yeah. uh or even i'm so sad it's that the the set of images and details and and allegories and stories and characters accumulate to say that that you so i think it it does a few things is that it triggers the thing or a recognition of the thing that is kind of 
currently lumped under <laughs> depression, right? Um, but it's and, and but I think that the, especially kind of going back to what Rachel was saying about the kind of relationship between the musical anxiety and the lyrical depression, right? Is gyroscope, right? Which has and I've I've never totally nailed the time signature. Uh, so if you're a listener who knows this album well, and I'm mostly talking to you, Jason Haas, friend of the podcast, uh, free, occasional commenter on overthinking it, uh, Jason, if you can figure out if you have a guess on the uh, the time signature, tell us, or if anyone else uh, listening uh, has a guess on the time signature of gyroscope, let's jump in because it's it's really it's not quite seven. Uh, it's not quite six. There's there's some kind of in between jump at the end of every. Oh God, is it is it like thirteen eight or something I, like that? It, it was, yeah. I read it was fifteen sixteen. Fifteen sixteen. So yeah. Feel free to call bullshit on that, but that's what I read. No, I love fifteen sixteen. It's like almost complete. Like, right. <laughs> right. Like it's j- that that makes sense. I'll have to count that out. Um. So let's get the fact checkers on that. Right. So the, and it has this. It's almost regular, and then it just skips. It's like you're. It's like the the record is skipping every uh, every two measures. Um. And, and lyrically, right, and, and, and it's, you know, the, the figure that goes over and over again in the chorus is if she spins fast enough, then maybe the broken pieces of her heart will stay together. But ain't no gyroscope can spin forever. And it's it's I mean, it, and, and then it kind of comes uh, to a head in the, the kind of last kind of tear through the last verse and into the end of the song is happiness is such hard work and harder every day and it can kill you but no one wants to be that tacky about it if you spin fast enough then maybe the broken pieces of your heart will stay together but something i've seen lately makes me doubt it yeah 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 Yeah. (laughs) i mean the the uh, the interesting thing is that something like spin or like a sort of exuberant motion, right, is generally a good thing in popular mm-hmm. music, you mm-hmm. know? Like, you you could imagine, like, everyone on the dance floor, spin around, you know what I mean? Yeah. And, and this is like, everyone on the dance floor, spin so that you don't literally fall apart where you're standing. Right. You know? And that's, uh, uh, it's, you know, it is an interesting, I mean, it is an interesting thing, the kind of the, the, the thing. Uh, it sort of raises a question, right? Which is like, I don't know what would happen if you didn't spin, right? Like it would be, it would be bad because you, it, you would be suffering, but like, you're suffering now right so so it's not it's not that it's not that great i don't know or that i mean yeah, the sort of I, the there is a sense in which like ain't no gyroscope can spin forever that there is a kind of like physics there's a kind of like physics theorem of you know denial right that you can't yeah. you kind of can't maintain it indefinitely well, I think too the idea is like if you stopped, it's like you could not you you physically could not catch all of the pieces, or you could not somehow hold them. It makes me think like somehow it's like impossible to actually hold the pieces just standing still. This is a grand. Uh, uh refutation of tony uh, of tony braxton right it is unpo- impossible to unbreak your heart <laughs> is like is is what this is right um no i mean i think that this is i think this is is in favor of i mean in favor is a little strong normatively but i think that the way it's written right is because you know no gyroscope can spin forever then the broken heart is going to break right and 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 right spinning can create a the the impression of a unbroken heart of a of a kind of whole heart <laughs> but if the heart is broken um then it will then you have to allow it to break you have to allow the pieces to fall um because I mean, because as I mean, you think about the other ways that you would mend a broken heart is through, you know, is through reconstruction, right? right? Through slow, painstaking. I mean, actually, right. To shout out uh, their um, a much later work by their tour mates is the process of kintsugi, right? <laughs> is through um, uh, uh, binding together the um, pieces of pottery with gold or with uh, epoxy, right? Um, mm-hmm. Kind of thinking about the uh, the Death Cab album that we did not like very much um, uh but and, and so that there are that there is a sense it's a good thing right? travis morrison never dated zoe deschanel right 
Yeah. Again, there are so many alternate type timelines. Right? There are. Um, and uh, and so and, and it is this sense right where the gyroscope, the spinning, is this partying right, and and that there is such an undercurrent of. Um, of kind of parties here, right? And and that there is being alone in parties or isolated in parties um, or alone outside of parties. Um, but like, it, it's, it's interesting, right? Because there aren't, I, I do think that as much as this kind of ends on this big hit, right? The, you know, maybe the broken piece of your heart will stay together, but something I've seen lately makes me doubt it seems like a pretty heavy downer, but there is a seed again. There's not the program for rebuilding there, um, but it is, there's a kind of acceptance in that, that I think is, is very interesting. Um, and it is kind of indicating that the partying is not the solution. Um, there's a lot of non solutions on this album, right? And, and I think partying is one of them. I think sex is another one, right? Um, that the two most kind of manic songs, the two most manic anxiousy songs are, um, I, I love a musician, or I think as the typography actually went on, the um uh physical release it's i heart emoji a, a magician it may have been the the first song with an emoji in the uh in the title um and then um no prince the, had the, surely surely prince had come out by this way by this i guess time. so i guess that is an emoji you're right it's he's the ur emoji um uh and then the the other is girl o'clock right that's the if i don't have sex by the end of the week i'm going to die right which and which has the kind of prefigures the uh the rick and morty kind of vocal stutter right like if i did don't have sex by the end of the week morty morty if i don't have sex by the end of the week i'm gonna die morty (laughs) (laughs) give me my portal gun morty (laughs) yeah oh okay rick are we going to a planet where you have sex all the time yeah, no, 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 we're not going to do that, <laughs> dipshit. <laughs> that would be this. That that that, uh, that would be the stupidest idea. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Speaking of alternate timelines. Um, yeah, but that that there's that right. That there's these in both of these. Um, this sense right of like a. Th- I mean, in some ways, right. Like that. The girl clock has a sense that like you know, sex and kind of connection is that, is that cure or a palliative to the loneliness and the anxiety, right? Again, which are two sides of, of a coin. Um, and I, and I heart a magician, right? Um, uh, the chorus is, um, that she simply wiggles her nose and disappears all my clothes really makes me wonder now she vanished into thin air and doesn't see why I care really makes me wonder now. Right? And then uh, it goes on. I love a magician. She does things to keep me amused. Like when she sticks my hair straight up in the air for the benefit of her stuck up friends. Well, I don't think it's funny, but it's a touchy subject. <laughs> right. And the, the, there's a sense of, well, the sex is there, right? She wiggles her nose and disappears all my clothes. Um, but that there is there is this sense of hey, but now she's gone, right? And so that that even with the sex and with that intimacy, the connection is not is not there. Um, so I think the sexing and the partying are not solutions. <laughs> yeah, it's it's almost like one way in that song. It's like because the magician sort of knows more about you than you know about yourself, yeah. right? Like, yeah. And it's it's like there's a the the thing that's bad about it is that it's it's not mutual and and that it involves a kind of submission, right? It involves a kind of um, uh, gi- giving up uh, giving up on the self and giving up on the self's hangups right in order to kind of make the the bargain to get the to get the magician to love you yeah and there is this sense that like the magician has has friends and you don't right (laughs) right there's the you know that um she sticks my hair straight up in the air for the benefit of her stuck up friends right so that that you are like a prop (laughs) um and and a a a kind of 
toy, <laughs> right? And and yet you are alone, and because it's they don't become your stuck up friends. Um, they're still they're still her friends. Right? I guess there's the emo nuptial agreement, um, uh, the 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 grandest of social contracts um, that they're they're her friends, right? And they, and they haven't become his friends. No matter no matter how how high you stick up your hair, you will never be stuck up. I think it's interesting because I, you know, I can't help but think about in thinking about like how, like in some ways, like this album is this kind of like the thought technology and like the the sentiments of this album of are of their time, right? Because I think, you know, maybe with like anxiety being more in the foreground lyrically, like like now or like a trend towards anxiety being in the foreground or being the the way we process things are because there are more like a structural things that could cause anxiety, right? Yeah. Like there are just more like failures around us <laughs> to <laughs> cause anxiety. But then also I think B like it's, I think it's interesting. Like, I, you know, in hearing the talking about like all the kind of like palliatives for connection, it's like kind of, I, I for, I don't know, maybe I, I, again, you know, feel free to sort of say like, well, I don't really see that, but like, I almost think like the, the kind of like, the sentiment in pop music today is that like, well, of course parties are terrible, <laughs> right? Yeah, like, yeah, it's yeah. like no one was ever yeah, happy yeah. at a party, yeah. right? And like, yeah, yeah. And it's like, of course sex is terrible. No one ever is really happy with, right? Like, I think it's like almost like uh, this kind of odd, like, it's like just, like the the generations just slightly like before ours, you know, we're we're still looking for connection in like parties and sex and like kind of human interaction and like i think now it's like there's been this move away from like well of course you'll never find those things so are are you saying that emergency eye is a pretty good album about being bad at love but it's no helpless fountain kingdom (laughs) (laughs) i mean right that's an album about no but but no but i will say that right that that part of what you were i i got there because halsey takes all of the kind of anxious disconnected parties being terrible sex being terrible things as givens right that right. is they're givens uh, right right. They're the, givens. right those are the those are axiomatic truths in the in uh right. in in the grand halsey theorems <laughs> like lord generally right parties are not like in lord's kind of pop universe they're never good like they're conflicted like she could have fun but they're always conflicted anxious yeah anxious events right like parties are anxious events and that's a given right in that universe there's that alicia cara song about hating being at a party right that yeah. uh, that sampled the portis head song oh, yeah 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 right or the massive attack whatever you know that, yeah the, tr- the trip hop song the trip hop song that is super famous like i just think it's interesting because i think it's like i you know i don't know what that means about like you know the the kind of like the, the micro generations coming after this have just like given up entirely on having yeah. any sort of meaningful friendship at a part, like from a party <laughs> right. or like, like in real life period. Right. Um, and I do think it's like some of this stuff is like, yeah, like it, it, it's like you can only feel this kind of particular kind of depression when you are like underemployed and you don't have a smartphone. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that the song that makes me think about that is um, a line on a life of possibilities. Right. And it's the um, you look around trying to find someone, you know, to put your hand up in the air, just kind of wave hello. But if they do care, they're not letting it show. This can't be new to you. Right. Um, and then it goes on and says there's a feeling coming back right and then in the bridge. It's uh, there's a feeling coming back connected by a thread, pulling at your hands like a spider web, like a kite that isn't there. It's a life of possibilities that pulls you away and claws and tears and challenges you to stay. Well, then, if it's a life of possibilities that you've got to live well, don't be surprised when they don't remember you or simply don't want to. Yeah. And I think, you know, I, I want to say it's like I'm not like did, all these songs were like making me cry before recording this because I found them so sad. And, um, but now that I'm like thinking about it, I almost think it's sadder to act like that's a given about human interaction. (laughs) I think it's sadder. And I think that is sort of where we've headed. 
is that we now think it's a given that people won't make eye contact yeah. or talk to you or yeah. say hi to you. Yeah, I think we think it's a given. And I'm sort of like, yeah. what for you for expecting more from people? Well, and again, and I think it's in, in, in addition to several of the things uh, in this album that we take for granted, right? And kind of going, circling back to the ad, right? And so the the second to last song, eight and a half minutes, right? The premise of the song is this monologue. He says, I launched all the world's nukes this morning, hoping it would kickstart something. Some of them went off course and hit the moon instead. It was kind of pretty. <laughs> and then it's the the song is the the story, that kind of allegorical story of the panic and the the both the life affirming panic that happens um, when everything is ending because all the world's nukes hit the moon. And and the thing is, is that that is about as normalized these days as not making eye contact with people. Right. right? <laughs> um, like that is, you know, if you told me, hey, all, like the nukes got launched and they hit the moon, I'd be like, all right, okay. all right, I, I, I'm ready for the hot takes on this. Like, <laughs> it's interesting. Like, I, I'm it's so- Hillary's fault. <laughs> like, uh, yeah, crooked, crooked Hillary and her crooked time signatures. Um, the, uh, you know, hey, man, all, drain, hey, that's what you got to drain the swamp and get rid of all the uneven, uh, uh time uneven signatures. Edges, yeah, got to clean out DC. Yeah. All the, uh, all the, um, yeah, exactly. All the emails were in 1516. Uh, the, yeah, I, I, I'm sort of thinking about it. The other thing though, that strikes me about this generation of, of pop stars compared with, uh, you know, dismemberment plan in 1999 is that they were what 30, right? Yeah, like 20, 20, 29, 20, 20, 20, 20, 20, 20, yeah, 20s, early 30s, yeah, right. And that the pop stars today are 16, 17, 18, right? That like Alicia Lord and Alicia Cara and Halsey, right? Like these are people who sort of came to prominence as like early post adolescence, you know, Mm -hmm. and that Mm -hmm. like, there is a different, that is, that is another kind of category difference in terms of what, uh, you know, in terms of, in terms of that, right. Because no one is, no one is socially great as a teenager, you know? And I think what the, the difference is that there have been these, these platforms, but the other thing, I mean, like returning to the idea of sort of theorizing about depression slash anxiety, words slash music, right? Like the thing that the asymmetrical time signatures do and the thing that, that some of the arrangements do, uh, there's some like, uh, light electronics on these yeah. records. So it's very much a rock and roll album. Um, it's not like a, uh, electron, uh, electronic, uh, I guess electronica was a word at the time. It's not yeah. like, um, industrial or things like that, but there are, there are a couple of things. There are a couple of drum sounds that you recognize that like digital cowbell sound, yep. uh, and, uh, and even on, on, you are invited the doom, the chat, doom, and there's some like uh wah wah bass bass kind of synthesizer sounds i think life of possibilities has something like that right like the mm-hmm. um that like uh the the if you think of like of depression as a sigh or as a kind of uh uh a push a hand kind of pushing you down and anxiety is like a tug as like a nervous tug, right? The music provides the tug. And these days the the text message alert provides the yeah. tug. You know? That like that like that sense of, you know, that sense of like what's that? What's that? What's that? Yeah. What's that? Yep. Is is another thing that's become sort of so so normalized and and the fact that the singers are younger and have been kind of living in this in this world with the constant tug, right? Like um, it, it's got to change your, your, you know, especially in, uh, uh, especially in young people, it's got to change your sort of, um, cognitive makeup, your sort of response to, uh, uh, response to things that like, um, when you, when you expect the tug and feel lonely in the absence of the tug, right? Like lonelier than you'd feel, uh, lonelier than you'd feel um in some of the situations that uh 
you know, that are described on emergency and I sort of wandering it, wandering through the city alone at a time that's supposed to be the best time in your life and like just feeling stupid and pointless. This is not a, uh, uh, this is not like television's marquee moon, like wandering through the city as a kind of, uh, you know, personal journey of, of, of mystical enlightenment. This is like, uh, it's not an allegorical journey, uh, or, or if it is, it's like the city is sort of no, most notable for its failure to provide anything um you know to provide anything diverting enough to uh uh diverting enough to to you know get you um uh, uh to get you going but when you live expecting the tug uh mm-hmm. the absence of the tug i don't know my is is a real the absence of the tug is a real uh, a real threat. Uh, I don't know. I'd, I'd, I'm sorry. I was just driven to to no. theorize a little bit about 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 these kids about these kids today because we now are the sort of olds, right? Like, you oh know, yeah, this is uh, totally. <laughs> and that, uh, that that I'm not entirely comfortable with that role. No, I know. I I mean, neither am I, but I recognize it's the role I, I play. And well, but we're the olds, but we're in the old taint, right? Because we're, we're <laughs> yeah. not. We're neither the de- depressed Gen Xers nor the anxious millennials, right? We're both. We're the we're the like we're the peacemaking middle children trying to like you know trying to interface among the different members of our family, you know, like. Yeah. And it's stressful. <laughs> it is really stressful. Rachel, will you tell Ryan that I'm very grateful to him for introducing me to this album? Will you tell him that, please? <laughs> like, hey, Rachel, will you tell Matt that I don't think he's appreciated it in the right way? All right. And if he really listened, he'd know how I feel. <laughs> <laughs> will you tell him? Did you tell him? Yeah, I, what did he I say? What did he say when he when I when I when you told him what I said? Guys, the two of you can talk to each other. I'm done. <laughs> yeah, no, I think it's it's I think that's true. And I think I think part of the tension is like, um, as a whatever we are, I don't I, I keep getting the term wrong because I think it's Zennials. Zennials. I've heard Zennials. I, I, I don't care for and it. And I, I think I said Zillennial. <laughs> but Zennials because it's a like xylophone, right? It's a right. Gen X millennial. Right, right. X, but, why do you call it an Xennial, like an X game? Like, I think Xennials makes more sense. I like Xennial better. Yeah, I like I, I like Xennial because it's like extreme millennial. Extreme. <laughs> <laughs> we are extreme millennials. Xennials. Um, yeah, I think there's a. I don't know. It's. I, I do think the tug thing is a really kind of interesting to me because I think that sort of explains why all the music is so chill. Like, 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 the, yeah. and by chill, I mean, like, not even like necessarily like low energy, but I do not think the music, I think the they don't want to be tugged. They don't want to be tugged. They don't want to be tugged. They don't want the anxiety to be produced in the music. Whereas, like, I grew up really loving the music to express that anxiety and, and like provoking it and like and provoking and, and like getting it, like producing that kind of like, like response. response. Or, right. Yeah. And I think, you know, it's, and I think that is a difference. Like I, I grew up like loving that. I grew up like I mean, this is why I like punk we're, music. Because we're extreme. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just I, I love that. I like to me like the best music actually is like anxious, anxious music, yeah. right? Music that produces a, a tug and the anxiety and gets me kind of riled up, right? Like and gets me kind of like yeah, it, it's like. The music that, you know, keeps you up all night, right? Because it's just so much or I don't know. I don't know how to explain that, but it's the tug. It's definitely the tug is there. And I think I think that is a difference that like, you know, I think the music that's coming out today just does not have the tug. Right. And I think I think it's an interesting point you make that maybe that that is like quite a concerted effort not to have the tug. You know, <laughs> people like people don't need the tug. <laughs> There's plenty of tugs. <laughs> Yeah, there's, um, no matter where you go, there's there's just constant there's just constant tug. I mean, you can configure your your optimal level of tug in the uh, settings app on your mobile device. Right. All, the, all the haptics, right? Right. Like, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. 
Yeah, and I, I do think, though, you know, I think that isn't just, like, a kind of difference in how I, like, want to process the world is that I think I still want my my the art I consume to produce well, a tug. There's something <laughs> another side of this is, is a recontextualization of the, the line that we talked about earlier on gyroscope about being happiness is such hard work. Is it at that time, right, as written and to the kind of depressed Gen Xer, um, young Gen Xer, the um, happiness being such hard work was still not alienated labor <laughs> right and uh and in and and today right that kind of what we're talking about kind of the inverse of the tug is that part of the the tug is also being called to produce right to put things out there to share and to get those responses those little hits from all of the likes uh and the connection and its circle right so it's there's a different level of now happiness is is alienated labor right <laughs> and it kind of connects through to the line on memory machine right which is the you know what the one I, I quoted at the opening, right? That call it fascist, but I know that someday happy will be all that matters, right? And so that there is this sense, there is now a a cycle between the kind of happiness labor and uh, in, in the in the uh, in the success theater coal mines, right? Uh, and that and, and this happiness is not yours, uh, and yet you're still toiling away to present it to the world, and you're trying to kind of get those little those little hits of happiness and connection, um, but you're you're getting little crumbs, uh, and someone else is is uh, is is making money off of the ad impressions, right? Yeah. And and the and the and the big data analytics. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, speaking of which, we're on Twitter at TFT Podcast <laughs> and uh, Facebook Theory for Turntables. If you haven't uh, followed us on both of those platforms, please uh, follow us on Twitter, like us on Facebook. Uh, there'll be a tweet for this show and a post on the Facebook page. So please go and like and star and retweet and reblog uh, all of those things. Uh, hit us up, you know, on on uh, on all of those platforms and and uh, whether you are a uh a depressed Gen Xer, whether you are an anxious millennial, or whether you are a uh, an ambivalent, uh, an ambidextrous, an an uh, an ambipathological uh, extreme millennial, extreme. <laughs> <laughs> just trying to make everybody get along. Whatever you do, please keep it real. <laughs>